Tonight's reading is from John 3, 1 through 8. You must be born again. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. The word of the Lord. Well, this summer I've been asking you to uh, do a little thought experiment. And I've asked you to pretend for a moment that you're a part of an urban monastery. And I know that that is not a, a, an image that you might often think of or understand. And so we're trying to flesh it out here a little bit. Uh, an urban monastery seeks the peace of the city by offering a school for the Lord's service and extending hospitality to guests. And God has used these communities over the centuries to bless cities. And, and uh, I've given you a couple of examples. This week I want to briefly tell you about Basil of Caesarea. Uh, he lived in central Turkey. He was a bishop. He was raised in a wealthy family. Uh, eventually came to Christ and he decided, you know, I can't follow Christ in this godless city. So he went out into the desert. He visited a bunch of hermits. And uh, he thought, you know, something isn't right about this. Where are the people? And finally, one uh, monk said, you know, you've you got to go back into the city and create a place like this. And so he created a monastery outside of a major urban area in Turkey. And he created a school for the Lord's service, but he also created what historians think was the first hospital. And it had a leprosarium. He was one of the first to create for lepers as well. And uh, he called it the new city, the new city. And so what I'm asking you to think about this summer is this second part, extending hospitality to guests. What, what does it look like to do that to the people in your world? And last week, we especially asked this question, how does this relate to sharing the gospel in our culture, to uh, whatever you want to call it? Uh, witnessing, to evangelism. Uh, there's all sorts of names that we have for it. What's the relationship of hospitality, creating a space for the guest, and the proclamation of the gospel? And, and what I tried to share last week was that we seem to be in a, a cultural moment of massive change. Some historians think the church shifts about every 500 years and that we're about in the middle of another one. 
And, and part of it is that we've gone from a culture that, that where the church had basically a home court advantage. And Billy Graham could stand up and talk about things like sin and redemption and heaven and hell and forgiveness. And, and, and there was a shared civic Christianity, a shared cultural vocabulary, so folks at least knew what he was talking about. Now all that is gone. And so we are asking, what does it look like to share Christ in this kind of a cultural moment. Uh, this morning, I was in our Sunday school class, and it was really a lot of fun. David Leach is at the beach, and so I was teaching in his place this week. And it's, it's really fun because it's, uh, you, it's kind of a discussion. There were just about 14 of us there. And I started, and I said, so tell me, what comes up in you when I say the word evangelism? We never got past that question (laughs) because, frankly, there was so much emotion around the answer, and most of it was anger. Uh, Just all sorts of things that kind of came up emotionally about the idea of evangelizing your neighbor, ranging from, uh, you know, political connotations to a feeling of, having to shove something down someone's throat to all sorts of... We had a fascinating conversation, and um, uh, I never got into the text. So hopefully tonight we'll do a little bit, a little bit better than that. What, what I'm trying to suggest to you, that in our cultural moment, one of the ways we can share the good news, creating safe spaces where we can have sacred conversations about him over time. That's, that's my thesis tonight. And that that is what an urban monastery tries to do. Now, this is an interesting story um, with so much wonderful truth in it, and I'm going to be looking at it more methodologically tonight uh, on, on how does Jesus relate to this man. He, Nicodemus was a Pharisee. Uh, Pharisees were a devout group of laymen within Israel that were trying to reform the Jewish movement. So they they were very serious about their faith. They cared deeply about their faith. Um, And yes, it it had become quite legalistic, but but they were very sincere. And this man comes to Jesus by night and asks him a question that he's been wondering. He's been watching Jesus, and he senses that the man is from God. And he does not want to be associated yet with the Jesus movement. We don't know exactly why, but there is a sense that he just does not want to align himself yet publicly with these people. Perhaps it would hurt his relationships with the Pharisees. We don't know. But he's got to find a safe place to have this conversation. And I think there are a lot of our friends who are in this same kind of a a situation, and you may be there yourself tonight. There is a spiritual longing. There is a spiritual desire. There is an interest in God. There there very well may be an interest in Christ and Jesus. But there is such a profound suspicion of the Jesus movement, the church, that that's not where the conversation is happening. 
And what they're looking for is this, is a place to meet Jesus at night. A place to have a conversation with him that feels relatively safe and at least that they can have it and everybody else doesn't have to know about it. So whatever the future looks like, and usually these shifts in church history take a couple hundred years to play out, so I don't think I'll be here to see it. But whatever's happening, I suspect that the future of evangelism has a lot to do with sacred conversations with people that you love over a long period of time about Jesus. It's back to what we've been calling slow church. Uh, Sandy and I were trained in a, in a wonderful method of evangelism where it was cold call evangelism. You take a track called the Four Spiritual Laws. I was trained to do it on beaches. I did it in hotel rooms. I, I was trained to do it in an elevator before you went from five to one. I've done it on airplanes. And for years, I, I literally would be in anguish because on the plane, I would feel like if I had not gotten through it with the person next to me, I'd failed God. And part of the, uh, the pressure of that, frankly, just drove me nuts, and I realized that might not be the best approach. But I also think in this cultural moment, while there are moments when that will happen, most of the time, it's going to be more of a conversation at night in a safe place. I heard an interesting example of, of, of this, and there's a quote um, from a, a book called Holy Listening. Suzanne Hassel gave that book to me. Our, our, for our guest, dear Suzanne, was a very important part of her body, and she died a year ago, uh, July 7th, and, and I've just been missing her lately, and this is a book that she gave me. What happens when we offer hospitality? We invite someone into a space that offers safety and shelter and we put our own needs aside as everything is focused on the comfort and refreshment of the guest. Hospitality is an occasion for storytelling with both laughter and tears. And then the guest moves on, perhaps with some extra provisions or a roadmap for the next stage of the journey. And of course, for, for us, the, the roadmap is Christ, and our hope is that as we create these spaces for the people that we love, for our guests, for our neighbors, they discern the path and come to know him. This morning, I, I heard a fascinating story about, I think, an example of this kind of creating a safe space where someone can have a sacred conversation um, Josh and Amelia Peterson have started this wonderful theater company, and they have this tremendous uh, Christmas uh, play every year, musical, actually. It's just, just wonderful. And uh, they were sharing that they, they, they decided that they would be open to casting non-believers in the cast itself, which some people might think is controversial. I think it's actually wonderful that you would invite a person who you want to know the story into the story. <laughs> and so Mary, the young lady who played Mary, was from a Muslim home and is now on a journey, but not a Christian journey. And so week after week, they're practicing, and this dear woman is singing week after week, night after night, the Magnificat, Mary's psalm of praise to God. And so one night, she comes to Amelia and says, what am I singing? 
think that is just a beautiful picture of, of what we're talking about. I think that's what Josh and Amelia are trying to do with this company, is create a space where sacred conversations over time can lead to Christ. And then uh, Nora Hassel chimed in, and she has this wonderful ministry. She goes usually in the morning with, with moms, and they hike and climb, and uh, several of you, I think Jane and Lynn, go watch these little children. There's something about watching three-year-olds hike a trail that just makes me very anxious, but, but that's what they do every week. And moms from all walks of life come, and some are Christians and some are not, and, and they have these wonderful conversations as they're on this journey. So maybe it looks something like that. Well, Nicodemus comes. Jesus answers, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he can't see the kingdom of God. We just read the text. If you've been a Christian for a while, it's a beautiful text. You're probably familiar with it. And and he essentially kind of reframes the whole Christian experience or or faith experience for Nicodemus. And and he says, you know, you're missing a piece because Nicodemus obviously was a devout Israelite. He was looking for the kingdom of God. He believed that when the kingdom came, he would be in because of his pedigree, because he was a man and he was born in Israel. And Jesus is saying, when the kingdom comes, and by the way, it's coming now, that pedigree is not enough. You must be born again. You'll be born of water, in other words, physical birth. That was their way of describing physical birth. And you'll be born of the Spirit. There's a spiritual birth, Nicodemus, that has to happen for you to come into the kingdom of God. And the rest of the text is a marvelous teaching on, on what it means to believe. What happens to Nicodemus? Does Jesus ask for a decision? No. We only hear Nicodemus two more times. One in John 7, and there's a big argument about whether or not Jesus should be put out And uh, Nicodemus kind of quietly raises his hand and says, does that really what the law says? Shouldn't we let him keep going? So something's going on there. And then at the end of the gospel, John 19, Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea are the two men that come and get his body. And Nicodemus brings a, a lot of myrrh to wash his body with. So it appears that he became a follower of Catholic Church, the Orthodox Church, venerate him as a saint. They think he became a follower of Christ. So I think what we learn from that is this is a beautiful picture of what evangelism might look like. Jesus plants seeds, gospel seeds, and then those seeds take root over the next couple of years until he eventually becomes a follower of Christ. And we don't know. Perhaps Jesus spoke with him again. We don't know. I think it's also a, a powerful picture. Uh, Jesus doesn't answer all of his questions. He doesn't boil it all down to four points. He talks in very mysterious, enigmatic ways. He's inviting him into the ministry, mystery. He's not kind of answering every possible apologetic question. He's awakening hunger. He's awakening thirst in him. 
And ultimately, Nicodemus believes. So I'm left wondering, what does that look like in your life? You know, we've been talking in the series, we started with Genesis 18, when God brought the three men to the tent and, uh, so that Abraham could take care of them. And I've been asking you, who's God brought to your tent? Who has God brought to extend hospitality to? Is there someone in your life who's just longing to have a sacred conversation? Maybe over a long period of time. Maybe they don't need you to give them a book right now. Maybe they don't need you to take them to church right now. Maybe they just want to talk about God. If you start to pray, I'm confident God will bring a person like that into your life. Let me say two things before we close about that conversation. Um, The two biggest fears I feel and I hear you feel about this are, first of all, I I don't want to be the guys out on the square. I don't want to push something on someone that they don't want, that's ugly, that's offensive, it's arrogant. I don't want to do that. I I don't want to come across it, and I I feel this way. When I run up to somebody on a beach and I say, hey, you know, would you like to know God? Here are the four laws. I can show it to you. I'm well-intended, but part of what I'm saying is I know something You don't know it. Let me show you what I know. I think that's some of why we have a distaste in our mouth for evangelism. At least some of us do. Here's my suggestion. As sacred conversations go on, you don't have to preach. Share your own story of what Christ has done in your life and what he means to you. And if they want to know more, tell them more. Now, the second barrier I I, I think that we have is this whole idea of it just seems offensive to be saying, look, this is the way, that's not the way, to it just seems sort of wrong in our cultural moments to go to people and say, Look, I kind of know the way to God. Maybe you don't. Can I show it to you? That just seems to kind of grate against us. And what I find happens is that we sort of step back once and what the evangelism becomes is just being a good person, being a just person, being a nice person, loving, which is very, very very important. It's where everything begins. But this, and I told him this morning, this is what I'm struggling with at the end of the day because I share the same feelings when I walk out and hear the guys in the square and you want up and you try to have a conversation they won't look you in the eye and I'm thinking, what is wrong here? This is horrible. Yes, I get that. Jesus still shares some content. There is still some 
sharing of a way. The, the, the gospel is seen in our deeds, but it is also shared in truth. It's word and action. And, and I, I fear that we, we leave the great tradition if we think that we no longer need to share it because it's gotten so botched up in our culture. What I would suggest to you is that if you take the pressure off and you don't feel like you have to close the deal and you don't have to get it done before you land in Denver, that actually, as you're in conversation with your friend at night, in a safe place, over time, all sorts of wonderful things will come out that you've found to be true about, about Christ and find in his word. It'll be the most natural thing in the world. And if it feels pressured, if it feels, I gotta do this, I feel so bad, I haven't evangelized, they're gonna smell that a mile away. Who wants to be your project? I mean, imagine for a moment uh, you live in this nice little Christian neighborhood and a, a Muslim family shows up, uh, let's just say from uh, Qatar, and they're way richer than you, and they drive big Mercedes, and they're, they're wearing their, their stuff, and they come up and they knock on your door, and they say, can I show you the way to Allah? You're probably not going to convert at that moment. You're probably going to think, who the blank are they to come into my neighborhood and bang on my door like that? I think that's the way a lot of our neighbors feel about Christians. So let's, as a congregation, pray about ways we can create safe spaces where we can have sacred conversations that lead people to Jesus. And when it doesn't lead them to Jesus, we keep loving them as the good friends that they've become. Let's pray.